0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to two ZQ hot takes where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be talking about gay as a prefix or gay portmanteau. Gaydar, gayberhoods, gamers, gaysians, gaybies, and the gay lord. The term homosexual was coined in Germany in 1869, although there is quite a timeline of German LGBT history and the usage of, or referral to the term homosexual as part of the fin de siècle and the overlapping end of the Victorian era over the course of a number of decades. The term homosexuality appears in print for the first time in a German-Hungarian pamphlet written by Karl Maria Kurtbunny. and many people believe that specific mention inadvertently kindled or kick-started recognition of modern gay culture. Well, there is something to that. As I noted in my previous pod, 2ZQHT34, Tarot Psychology Ghosts and Psychics, this isn't anything new. This has traceable roots that go back to Victorian England and long before that as well. In late Victorian sexuality and spiritualism, the place of the paranormal in queer-erotic partnerships... How about that? Sharon E. Kelly prefaces the entire dissertation with The argument that the fin-de-seek navigations of emerging categories of sexual identity were partially expressed in literary representations of supernatural connections, transformations, events, and practices. Hmm. The paper goes on to say... Like the heterogeneous spiritualist movements and communities described, there are many terms and classifications that can be applied to sexual identity. The solidification of the homosexual-heterosexual binary shortly after the fin de Sikh led to the stagnation of viable and sexual identity options for much of the 20th century. Well, how about that? Now, according to uh, dictionary.com, gay, the origin of gay, it came from Middle English, somewhere between 1275 and 1325 A.D. The term homosexual for the word gay has become so prevalent that people hesitate to use the term in its original senses of merry, lively, and bright or showy. But the word's association with sexuality is not new. The word gay has had various senses dealing with sexual conduct since the 17th century. A gay woman was a prostitute. A gay man, a womanizer. A gay house, a brothel. This sexual world included homosexuals too, and gay as an adjective, meaning homosexual, goes back to at least the late 1930s. After World War II, as social attitudes toward sexuality began to change, gay was applied openly by homosexuals to themselves, first as an adjective and later as a noun. It is no longer considered slang. Today, the noun often designates only a male homosexual and is usually used as a collective plural, gays and lesbians. Usage as a singular noun is uncommon and sometimes perceived as insulting. He came out as a gay. Well, we colloquially use that as a joke. In contrast, gay in the sense awkward, stupid, or bad is often used with disparaging intent and perceived as insulting to gay people. Though some have argued that this sense is independent of the homosexual sense and therefore not homophobic, the argument is weakened by the fact that homosexual has long been the dominant meaning of gay and thus permeates its other usages. Which brings me to gay portmanteau. Portmanteau is a word blending the sounds and combining the meanings of two others. For example, motel from motor and hotel or brunch from breakfast and lunch. And the gays love making up their own portmanteau and or are early adopters for celebrity couples for some reason. (laughs) To refer to them as a unit instead of individuals, mostly. I like to believe because the acronym or contraction that becomes the portmanteau for their identity has a ring to it. Although we use portmanteau for a number of aspects of life that is not related to idol worship. From Cassava Films. A few years back, the term metrosexual entered the English usage. It was what we call a portmanteau, a word that mashes together two different words to form something in between a compound word and a pun. Metrosexual itself referred to a straight man with an interest in girly things like skin care, high fashion, and good grooming. Since then, metropolitan heterosexual men everywhere have been adopting things that were previously considered to be for women only, and the portmanteaus to describe these changes have blossomed. Now, I'm just going to mention several of them, including nanny, bromance, manscaping, manorexia, Guy Liner, and himbo. And a himbo is physically attractive, but shallow and unintelligent. The himbo knows what to wear and who to sleep with, but not much beyond that. Mimbo, bimbo, which was a term referring to a macho man in the 20s is also a cartoon character in the Betty Boop universe, and the first time I remember bimbo being used with any recognizable frequency was on Laverne and Shirley. And portmanteau have become part of day-to-day mainstream or basic life with the continued usage of terms. From dailywritings.com, 25 favorite portmanteau words, such as, and I'm only going to mention some of them, affluenza, Antisappointment, a backronym, a word presented as an acronym after the fact. Blaxploitation, Bodacious, Celebutante, Chillax, Cosplay, Craptacular, Edutainment, Frankenfood, Frenemy, Ginormous, Infotainment, McMansion, Metrosexual, Mockumentary, Netocracy, Sexploitation, and Shopaholic are all examples of modern portmanteau. I have to throw in the term guppies, gay yuppies. But like yuppies, guppies has become obsolete and has gone out of fashion. It doesn't seem to quite have any relevance because of the way the world is these days. I don't know anybody who thinks in those terms anymore, let alone uses them. But what do I know? So on to the decidedly gay portmanteau. Gaydar. I am unfoundedly proud of my own gaydar, although I have been quite incorrect on numerous occasions and have harbored a belief of another individual's sexuality out of what I think is my personal vanity. Then learn that the individual identifies altogether differently than what I thought. And then I find out that others are in what might be considered a sexually ambiguous lifestyle, fluid and live a life of abandon and are thralls to whatever physical desires happen to possess them at any given moment that I never picked up on. I had a list of 22 guys I called my bi-curious buddies, who pursued engaging in activity with me, but I declined, mostly because of what I perceived as their unstable emotional state. A lot of it was constant reference to the girlfriend, then them making a move on me, which in my experience is often volatile. And one guy, right after telling me that his fiance broke up their engagement after he gave her genital warts, as if his HPV status had no relevance to any activity with me. Excuse me? Out people with a lot less emotional baggage have enough issues in the first place, so my enthusiasm for that experience is not as strong as it is for others, and to each his own. So, I like to think I am damn good at it, But in reality, a large percentage of the time, we take cues we have already loaded into our consciousness, and instead of recognizing that, we think it is some sort of divine inspiration or natural talent to deduce people's identity. While we may do better than oblivious straight guys, there is a substantial margin of error, and there is a lot of compiled information that we take notice of and access to narrow down our perceptions, research tells us. From Wikipedia, Gadar. A portmanteau of Gay and Radar is a colloquialism referring to the intuitive ability of a person to assess others' sexual orientations as homosexual, bisexual, or heterosexual. Gaydar relies on verbal and nonverbal clues and LGBT stereotypes. These include the sensitivity to social behaviors and mannerisms, acknowledging flamboyant body language, the tone of voice used by a person when speaking, overtly rejecting traditional gender roles, a person's occupation, and grooming habits. The detection of sexual orientation by outward appearance or behavior is frequently challenged by situations in which masculine gay men do not act in a stereotypically gay fashion or with metrosexual men, regardless of sexuality, who exhibit a lifestyle, spending habits, and concern for personal appearance stereotypical of fashionable urban gay men. A number of scientific studies have been conducted to test whether gaydar is real or just a popular myth. Perhaps the earliest study asked people to judge sexual orientation from video clips, with results concluding that it was a myth. A later study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology showed that people could judge sexual orientation more accurately than chance. This study asked people to indicate their sexual orientation using the Kinsey scale and then had others view very brief silent clips of the people talking using thin slicing. Thin slicing is a term used in psychology and philosophy to describe the ability to find patterns in events based only on thin slices or narrow windows of experience. The viewers rated their sexual orientations on the same scale and the researchers found a significant correlation between where the people said they were on the scale and where they were perceived to be on the scale. Later studies have repeated this finding and have even shown that home videos of children can be used to judge accurately their sexual orientation later in life. Later studies found that gaydar was also accurate at rates greater than chance for judgments just from the face. Study participants use gendered facial cues and stereotypes of gay people to make their judgments, but reliably misjudge sexual orientation for people countering stereotypes. The race, ethnicity, and nationality of neither the person making the judgment nor the person they are judging seems to make a difference when making judgments from faces. Even individual facial features, just the eyes, can sometimes give enough information to tell whether a man or woman is gay, straight, or lesbian. One study showed that judgments of men's and women's faces for about one twenty-fifth of a second was enough time to tell whether they were gay, straight, or lesbian. People's judgments were no more accurate when they had more time to make their judgments. Follow-up work to this suggested that gaydar happens automatically when someone sees another person and that seeing someone's face automatically activates stereotypes about gays and straights. People seem not to know they have gaydar, though. Gay men have more accurate art than straight men, and women have more accurate art when they are ovulating. One study hypothesized that this might be because homosexual men are more attentive to detail than heterosexual people are, apparently as an adopted perceptual style, aiding in the recognition of other homosexual people. Other studies have found that men and women with body shapes and walking styles similar to people of the opposite sex are often more perceived as gay. A study by UCLA assistant professor Carrie Johnson found that observers were able to accurately guess the sexual orientation of men 60% of the time, slightly better than would be achieved by random chance. With women, their guesses didn't exceed chance. Although the study was designed to reveal information about the perception of the observer, it has been misinterpreted as conveying reliable information about the sexual orientation of the participants. Gender-specific body movements are not reliably associated with a person's sexual orientation. This is true of face shape, but surprisingly not for voices, even though people think they are associated with a person's sexual orientation. A handful of studies have investigated the question of gaydar from voice. They have found that people can tell who is gay and straight from their voices, but have mostly focused on men, sometimes terming the vocal difference gay lisp. Detailed acoustic analyses have highlighted a number of factors in a person's voice that are used, one of which is the way gay and straight men pronounce S sounds. Research by William T. L. Cox and his colleagues found that gaydar is simply an alternate label for using LGBT stereotypes to infer orientation, that is, inferring that fashionable men are gay. This work points out that the scientific work reviewed that claims to demonstrate accurate gaydar falls prey to the false positive paradox also see the base rate fallacy because the alleged accuracy discounts the very low base rate of LGBT people in real populations, resulting in a scenario where the accuracy in lab studies translates to high levels of inaccuracy in the real world. In the early 2000s, an electronic device based on the Japanese Love Getty wireless dating device was marketed as Gator and reported on widely in the media. This was a keychain sized device which would send out a wireless signal alerting the user via vibration, beep, or flash when a similar device was within 12 meters or 40 feet. This let the user know that a like-minded person was nearby. In 2017, researchers have claimed that an artificial intelligence algorithm could correctly identify sexual orientation in 81% of the tested cases for men and 74% with women, 91% and 83% respectively when using five images of each subject just by reviewing a handful of photos of online dating profiles. In early 2018, other researchers, among which two specialists of AI working at Google, one of the two on face recognition, issued a reportedly contradicting study based on a survey of 8,000 Americans using Amazon's Mechanical Turk crowdsourcing platform. The survey yielded many traits helping to discriminate between gay and straight respondents with a series of yes-no questions. These traits had actually less to do with morphology than with grooming, presentation, and lifestyle. Makeup, facial hair, glasses, selfie angle, etc. How about that? Now, gayborhood... Another portmanteau that was coined in Philadelphia in 1995 for the area known as Center City. As I spoke about in my pod 2ZQHT33, the evolution of gayborhoods, there is a lot of information about gay neighborhoods or gayborhoods. So I'm going to go over a little bit more of it because there's so much information to talk about. A gay village, also known as a gay neighborhood, gay enclave, gay venue, gay ghetto, gay, toe, gay district, gay town or gayborhood, is a geographical area with generally recognized boundaries inhabited or frequented by many lesbians, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Gay villages often contain a number of gay-oriented establishments, such as gay bars and pubs, nightclubs, bathhouses, restaurants, boutiques, and bookstores. Among the most famous gay villages are New York City's Greenwich Village, Hell's Kitchen, and Chelsea, Fire Island and the Hamptons on Long Island. Boston's South End, Jamaica Plain and Provincetown, Massachusetts, Philadelphia's Gayborhood, Washington, D.C.'s DuPont Circle, Chicago's boystown London's Soho, Birmingham's Gay Village, Brighton's Town, and Manchester's Canal Street, all in England, Los Angeles County's West Hollywood, as well as Barcelona Province's Sitges, Toronto's Church and Wellesley neighborhood, the Castro of San Francisco, Madrid's Chueca, Sydney's Newton and Darlinghurst, Berlin's Schoenberg, the Gay Street in Rome, Le Marais in Paris, Greenpoint in Cape Town, Melville in Johannesburg, and Zona Rosa, Mexico City in Mexico. In North America, the following neighborhoods are also noted. Asbury Park, Maplewood, Montclair, and Lambertville, all in New Jersey. Wilton Manors in Florida, Atlanta's Midtown, Montreal's Le Village, Houston's Montrose, Minneapolis' Uptown, San Diego's Hillcrest, Sacramento's Lavender Heights, Alamitos Beach in Long Beach, and Seattle's Capitol Hill, along with Vancouver's Davie Street Village. The term ghetto originally referred to those places in European cities where Jews were required to live according to local law. During the 20th century, ghetto came to be used to describe the areas inhabited by a variety of groups that mainstream society deemed outside the norm including not only Jews, but poor people, LGBT people, ethnic minorities, hobos, prostitutes, and bohemians. I'm in good company. These neighborhoods, often which arise from crowded, highly dense, and often deteriorated inner city districts, are critical sites where members of gender and sexual minorities have traditionally congregated, In some cities, LGBT people congregate in visibly identified neighborhoods, while in others, they are dispersed in neighborhoods which have less visibility because a liberal-affirming counterculture is present. The neighborhood of Schoenberg in Berlin was the first gay neighborhood in the world, developing in the 1920s. The gentrification of gay villages may also serve to reinforce stereotypes of gays, by pushing out gay people who do not conform to the prevailing gay, white, affluent professional image might be the guppies I mentioned previously. Such people, including gay people of color, low-income, working-class gays, and undesirable groups such as gay prostitutes and leathermen, are usually forced out of the village due to rising rents or constant harassment at the hands of an increased policing presence, especially in San Francisco's Polk Gulch neighborhood, the first gay village in that city. Gentrification seems to have had this result. Provincetown, Massachusetts, was ranked by the U.S. Census as the gayest city in America, but like the Pines or Cherry Grove or Key West, I don't necessarily consider them neighborhoods. They are destinations And unlike neighborhoods, which have been developed and integrated in and around existing neighborhoods, even though Fire Island, the Cape and Key West are primarily straight these days, have a different appeal. And I do know that quite a lot of people who are LGBT live at these resort destinations, and that is understood. The neighborhoods are not specifically resorts. They are day-to-day neighborhoods, at least in my own perception some cities have a very well-defined gay village in the heart of a larger area that also has a significant gay population. For example, Boys Town in Chicago is a very well-defined gay village situated within the larger Lakeview neighborhood. Despite its large gay population and a high concentration of gay venues, the South Beach area in Miami Beach, Florida was never exclusively gay because of its popularity among straight people alike. And now I am anecdotally told that South Beach is much less popular than Fort Lauderdale or Wilton Manors. Uh, Montreal's gay village is considered one of North America's largest in population, concentration, and scope. The neighborhood of Le Marais in Paris has experienced a growing gay presence since the 1980s, as evidenced by the existence of a large gay community and many gay cafes, nightclubs, cabarets, and shops, such as one of the largest gay clubs in Europe, Le Depot. A well-known gay village of Sitges is one of the richest residential areas within the area of greater Barcelona. In Minneapolis, Minnesota, areas surrounding Loring Park, site of the LGBT Pride Festival, are regarded as a gay neighborhood, although many gay and lesbians have migrated to more residential neighborhoods such as Bryn Mawr and Whittier. In Tampa, Florida, while the gay community was traditionally spread out among several gay neighborhoods, the early 21st century has seen the creation of the Gay Board District, which is now the center of gay and lesbian life in the Tampa Bay area and home to the majority of gay bars and dance clubs, restaurants, and service organizations. In Orlando, Florida, the gay community is centered around the neighborhoods of Thornton Park and Eola Heights. Church in Wellesley is an LGBT-oriented community in Toronto. Ottawa established an LGBT-friendly village along Bank Street in Centretown on November 4, 2011. 2011? That was not even nine years ago. In some cities, such as Stockholm, Helsinki, Tel Aviv, Austin, and Copenhagen, there are no established gay villages, partly due to the differing social dynamics of those cities, less social segregation within the city, but also due to earlier and greater social acceptance of the gay community within mainstream society. Brighton is considered to be the unofficial gay capital of the UK and records LGBT history in the city since the 19th century. Brighton pride is the largest pride event in the UK celebrated at the start of August and attracting around 160,000 people every year. The city also had the highest percentage of same sex households in the UK in 2004 and the largest number of civil partnership registrations outside of London in 2013. London's LGBT community has historically been centered around Soho since the 18th century, and Old Compton Street in particular, where bars, clubs, restaurants, cafes, shops, and theaters now line the streets. Liverpool is home to the largest LGBT population in the UK, with an estimated 94,000 LGBT people living in the city equivalent to the LGBT population of San Francisco. Liverpool was also the scene of many significant moments in the history of the gay rights movement. How about that? It's not just the Beatles. In 2009, a survey conducted by the University of Sao Paulo in 10 Brazilian state capitals estimated that 7.8% of Brazil's male population was gay and 26 were bisexual, a total of 10.4% while 4.9% of the female population was estimated to be lesbian and 1.4% bisexual, a total of 6.3%. In the city of Rio de Janeiro, 19.3% of the male population was estimated to be gay or bisexual. Among the female population of Manas, 10.2% were estimated to be lesbian. The U.S. city with the highest gay population is New York, with an estimated 272,493 gay residents. Los Angeles is second with 154,270, followed by Chicago, with 114,449, and San Francisco with 94,234. And I don't know the exact dates on these statistics. An estimated 33 to 50% of Palm Springs, California are gay male or other parts of the LGBT community. This statistic makes them the largest percentage community in the USA. And there are various statistical breakdowns of gay populations as percentages of general population and a number of other criteria. So, gayberhoods are not only real, but they are big business. Now, onto the gay portmanteau of gamer. I am utterly surprised at this. This is a bit of an eye-opener to me because of the considerable amount of controversy. Gamer... And gay gamer are umbrella terms used to refer to the group of people who are identified as gay and have an active interest in video games or tabletop games, also known as gamers. Lesbian, bisexual, and transgender gamers are often categorized under this term. This demographic has been the subject of two large surveys that attracted press coverage by Jason Rockwood in 2006, who noted that the level of prejudice that gamers endure and another one in 2009 focusing on what gamers expect of video games. A gaming convention oriented to LGBT gaming and geek culture, GamerX, first took place on August 3rd and 4th, 2013 in San Francisco. Chris Vizzini, owner of the gaming site Gamer.org, was involved with several online communities between 2007 and 2013 in a controversy and legal dispute over the trademark of the term Gamer, which ended when Vizzini surrendered the right to the term and the trademark was canceled. In 2006, a sociological study at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign looked at the gay gamer subgroup focusing on the profile of a gamer and concerns they have regarding the perception of them in the gaming community and visibility of gay characters in games. The study's author noted the level of prejudice that gamers endure. Gay gamers experience a double-edged sword of prejudice. The mainstream gay culture in media is not supportive of video games. Then you have the video game culture that is not supportive of gay culture. So you have these people stuck in the middle who have this double-edged prejudice. Now, this goes back to 2006, so I think a lot has changed in the last 14 years. With about 10,000 respondents, 10,000 respondents, the survey exhibited a reverse bell curve of gamer sexuality, with most people identifying as either completely heterosexual or homosexual. In late August 2009, Full Sail University student Paul S. Nowak began a second survey of gamer play preferences. The survey focused on questions of content such as plot, genre, customization, and other in-game experiences. The survey team reported that over 7,000 people participated in the survey. The results of NOAC's survey were used by NOAC to build a profile of the gay gamer community and gain unique insight into this financially untapped demographic. These results were not published in an academic journal, though a later NOAC's book List gamers as preferring role playing video games pertaining to the hardcore explorer, achiever gamer type and appreciating good plot and quality homosexual content, which he defines as game content which reflects homosexual orientation in a positive or equal to heterosexual orientation context. The misconception that young white heterosexual males were the force driving the industry forward was strongly challenged by the record breaking success. Of The Sims. Video game developer Maxis had resisted Will Wright's goal of creating the title on the grounds that girls don't play video games. The title was seen as unappealing to young heterosexual males. In the 1990s, the industry began to make some effort to market games to women by creating software titles with strong independent female characters. Even some games that are considered to appeal mainly to the non-traditional demographic continue to censor homosexuality. But some video game companies are now moving further to expand their marketing base to include the perceived market of affluent gamers by including LGBT characters and supporting LGBT rights. Critics of the suppression of gay identity often conclude that as homosexuality is normalized in broader culture, it will be in video games as well. Little is known about what it is like to work within the industry as a gay individual. As a result, much of the information that does come to light is in dispute. Danny Bunten, a trans woman, designed some of the earliest multiplayer games. In 1996, Jacques Servan, a Maxis employee, was fired when he put implied gay characters into the Simcopter game. Depending on the news source, Servan claims to have done it because he was upset at being grossly overworked at Maxis or as some type of political statement. Well-known gay writer and movie director Clive Barker was involved in the creation of games Undying in Jericho. The umbrella term gamer quickly expanded throughout the internet, which gave rise to the popular online communities, which provide a safe space for LGBT gamers and the LGBT gaming culture. On July 31, 2012, a Kickstarter project was started for GamerCon which was later renamed to Gamer X for a convention that billed itself as being the first gaming convention focused on LGBT geek culture. Within five days, the Kickstarter project passed the funding goal of $25,000. And after the full funding period of 30 days, the project reached a final total of $91,389. Gamer X took place on August 3rd and 4th, 2013 in San Francisco. The event has received support from Electronic Arts and GLAAD. That's the part that I just shake my head about. In April 2007, Chris Vizzini, owner of the gaming site Gamer.org, sought to trademark the term Gamer with respect to online communities and obtained it in March 2008. In 2012, he sent a cease and desist letter to Reddit's Gamer subreddit forum for alleged trademark infringement. Vizzini has been criticized by the Reddit and gamer communities who cite examples of use from as early as 1991 and a Yahoo Group's online community with that name created in 2000. Vizzini's website was taken out of service in September 2012. He has claimed that this was due to a denial-of-service attack. On two occasions, Vizzini posted new threads to the Gamers Forum explaining his position and apologizing for hurting his own people, but not for filing the trademark. On January 24, 2013... Members of Reddit's Gamers subreddit, supported by pro bono lawyers from Perkins Coy and Electronic Frontier Foundation, filed a petition at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to cancel Vizzini's trademark on the term on the basis that it was used with that meaning since the mid-1990s. Vizzini reinstated his intent to defend the trademark on the site's name that he started as an online community in 2003 as a way to build a positive brand from a term that had negative connotations. On June 25, 2013, it was announced that Gamer.org was being officially closed down. On August 22, 2013, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office officially canceled the trademark after Vizzini decided to surrender the trademark. Such drama! Now, on to Gaby. I personally know at least four men who fathered children in ostensibly heterosexual marriages, plus one who came out to his then very pregnant fiance, and three couples who have had children after entering a committed same-sex relationship. So I don't know where a gaby falls in that, but I know that you're a if you've, come into a a gay relationship. But if your dad is gay and he came out, does that make you a gaybie? I don't know. Uh, I think that's up to people to decide for themselves. From yourdictionary.com, gaybie. It's a noun. LGBT, the baby of a gay person or couple. Second entry is a young child with apparent homosexual continence. That is, gay face. Urban Dictionary, Gaby, the child of a gay couple, plain and simple. Okay. Ah uh, okay. <laughs> As many people know, my let's say appreciation for Asian men is well known. So when I see the listings under the term Gaijin in Urban Dictionary, I have to say that perhaps the submission criteria in Urban Dictionary might need review based on these listings under the term Gaijin. Gaijin, a homosexual Asian guy. I typed Asian in on Yahoo and obviously did not find anything related to the O'Reilly factor. Okay. Gaijin, someone who is both gay and Asian. Gaysian, a gay Asian, why can't I meet a nice Gaysian and settle down? Gaysian, a person of Asian descent who has a sexual attraction to the same sex. A Gaysian is a gay Asian. Gaysian, a gay Asian person. And then we have Gaysian, a homosexual Asian male, often the subject of lust from gay non-Asian males, particularly fat skeevy old men who find pretty, slender, non hirsute males to be enchanting, which is reasonable. What is less reasonable is that they actually expect to get into the pants of such males. First, second-generation Gaijins are often closeted due to tight-knit and often conservative families. Due to Asian males tending towards the non hirsute and pretty and their slighter on average physical stature, It can also be difficult for such men to avoid being pigeonholed as twinks and or bottoms. It can also be difficult for gay Asian males to retain a sense of comfortable masculinity due to appearing more androgynous than other races as well as being gay. I think that's a little bit on the offensive side all around. Asian, something that reinforces negative stereotypes about Asian American men, such as being nerdy, uncool, short, non-athletic, asexual, unattractive, lacking a social life, especially success with women, and being overly obsessed with video games, computers, and anime, manga. I will leave this to my gay Asian brethren to disseminate the correct usage of the term, although I think that there is a tremendous amount of prejudice and bias in some of these definitions and listings. I find it offensive to me. And finally, we get to Gay Lord. Now, growing up, a gay lord was always considered somebody who was nerdy, not the most masculine guy in the world. And before there was a computer culture, people were referred to as gay lords. I can remember that from my childhood. But from Urban Dictionary, Gay Lord. Perceived to be the original or first homosexual male, if such a being ever existed. The occasional myth that emerges from closed circles entails that the one gay lord ruled over homosexuals in early Mesopotamian times as a deity of sorts, and if he still lived today, would be able to control every living gay man with a single thought. Some say that the homosexual essence of the gay lord was, is, the purest of all gays. To this day, it is unknown as to how the gay lord actually looked like, although there is much speculation on whether the gay lord still lives locked away in deep slumber. It has also been said that the gay lord has no apparent connection with bisexuals or lesbians. Like you said, Palooka, the kindred have their cane and the homos have their gay lord. Okay. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kiddies say, peace out.